the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson, Tom Fernelli, Danny Cannell, and Bud Elliott. It's your call for the best college football coverage from National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between. CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Tom Fernelli. I'm Chip Patterson coming to you live at youtube.com slash cover three and all across the 24-7 Sports Facebook network. Thank you for tuning in. Why don't you smash that subscribe, smash that like, come hop in the chat and join the conversation. It is a Thursday. That means that a good portion of the show will be opening up that big old bag of mail. Uh, today's set of mailbag questions as we do have uh just tom finale myself today we're going big 10 heavy baby i'm just gonna go ahead and let you know we've got the knolls out the house and that means that we get to really get in our bag we will also uh if the listeners and viewers who are following along right now want to maybe we'll break down the new premier league ball i don't know i don't know if we'll have enough time but we begin with uh a headline that has been part of the ongoing uh, response between uh, the NCAA and the name, image, and likeness era. And it is that the NCAA uh, has reportedly gone to take a visit down at Miami uh, to just sniff around and start to check out uh, how things have been going with uh, name, image, and likeness. The billionaire John Ruiz, who has been at the center of a lot of the Miami NIL deals, that has reportedly, you know, been also someone uh, of interest. And none of this necessarily means that we are going to see Miami get charged with anything. None of this necessarily means that Miami has done any- anything afoul of the name, image, and likeness rules and guidelines that the NCAA has put forth. So I guess I, I want to start with um are you surprised that the NCAA has gone to Miami first? And number two, do you think anything's going to come out of this for the Hurricanes? I am not surprised that they went to Miami first because it's Miami and they're the NCAA. And, you know, they've got, you know, frequent flyer miles down there, I suppose, based on things that have happened there in recent history. Uh, but no, I, I'm not surprised simply because I think in this NIL world, Miami's clearly been the most public about it. I mean, they've, you know, it's like they've, they're announcing commitments from players with sponsorships in the, you know, in the tweets announcing players signing or committing or whatever. And as far as if I think anything's going to come of it, no. I mean, what's the NCAA going to do? Well, the, the NCAA, based on my understanding, is looking to make sure that they are not using name, image, and likeness as an inducement. Like, that's the one thing the NCAA, hey, 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 you laugh, but What that's- is name, image, and likeness? <laughs> name, image, and likeness, uh, to offer it as an inducement on the recruiting trail seems to be the piece they're going after. I, 
John Ruiz, uh, who we mentioned earlier, you know, he has been very bold with like, no, look, we've got good lawyers. If the NCAA wants to try to come, if anybody wants to try to pick this apart, you know, we believe that everything we're doing uh, is not running afoul of the law. We believe that if you try to penalize Miami, if you try to penalize these players, then, you know, we're going to be able to sue you. I think that we will see the NCAA attempt to bring some charges of inducements, some charges of running afoul of the name, image, and likeness rules against some college football programs. Now, how successful will these charges be? You know, will the allegations turn into penalties? I don't know. I I believe that the NCAA is not going to go after players. I think that's very, very a bad, bad, bad move in addition to not being something that I think is very fair, but also something that's not going to be good for the PR of an organization that is like desperately, desperately hurting and cannot take another loss. But I think that despite all of the almost braggadocious attitude from some of these collectives and some from some of these people that are empowering the NIL moves, I think the NCAA is going to try to get a couple schools and penalize the school or maybe the coach or the program, but not necessarily penalize the player. Still, I, I'm with you. I I don't. I hope no penalties stick as a matter of personal opinion, but I'm not willing to say that nothing will come of the NCAA's efforts to try to rein in name, image, and likeness. Nothing will come of the NCAA's efforts to try to nothing. rein in. It's, what are they, standing in the ocean screaming at the tide to stop coming in? Yes, they are. Okay, but they, well, is that going to stop the tide from coming in? So like it's it's the NCAA. It's been impotent for years. It hasn't been able to stop anybody from doing anything in a very long time. And every once in a while, it throws penalties at some smaller program that really doesn't have the resources to fight back. But now you're going to go after schools that can actually afford lawyers and have boosters who are willing to pay this money to get it to go. And most of them are in states where this is all perfectly legal. So the NCAA, which never had subpoena power for anything it's ever done, suddenly thinks it's going to take on like somebody outside of the athletic administration to go after them, to go try to get them to tell them what they can and cannot do in states for what they're doing is perfectly legal. And then they're going to punish schools. If the NCAA wants to punish Miami or a bunch of power five schools. Great. That's a hell of a way to kill yourself because they'll just leave you because you serve no purpose to them anymore. You really haven't served a purpose to them in a very long time. So this is. This feels like, honestly, the death throes of the NCAA. It's the death rattle. They're just trying to give themselves some sort of relevance in a world in which they really don't have any anymore in college football. They don't serve any general purpose outside of, well, they've been around. So I, as a matter of personal opinion, I agree with you. But I do think that even if it's a death rattle, I think that they will try something. And look, it might be some sanctions that we roll our eyes at, right? You know, like what happens when uh, you held too many practices? You get an NCAA violation. You can't hold, you have your hours limited that you're able to have in the upcoming season. Who's monitoring that, by the way? What? The practices? Like, when the NCAA says you're going to lose five hours of practice, who's monitoring that? Do they have? Are they sending somebody there to count hours? It's your compliance office. Mm -hmm. You're supposed to self-report. Mm -hmm. Yep. And, and when you, uh, you know, when you catch one of those minor recruiting violations, now you've limited the number of coaches that can go on the road. Like those, there are in like these long, uh, you know, infractions reports, a lot of penalties and a lot of um, sanctions and a lot of allegations that are so minor. They do make me roll my eyes, but I, I think that that is 
probably the ceiling of what we get from name, image, and likeness. But I do think that there is a floor of us seeing the headline, NCAA alleges Miami ran afoul of name, image, and likeness rules. And that headline is going to be a lot sexier than the actual like um, tale that will be unfolded, which will be like, wait, okay, so it's just this, they were only able to get evidence for this one deal with this one prospect, and the only penalty is that they're going to be fined $50,000. I mean, you know, they're going to get some monetary fine, and the school has to pay it, and that's it. Like, that, that might be it, but I do think that's still at least something that could come of this. Yes, because you can't pay them to come to your school. You can only pay them once they're there. There's a huge, it's a huge difference. It's really not the same thing. Pay for play NIL, whatever the hell you want to call it. They're totally different. So the Miami getting visited first also made me think that it was like a backlog. Cause remember when uh, we did a show on NIL Eve of Mm -hmm. here on the cover three podcast. And when midnight hit, Derek King was out here with college hunks hauling junk. They had an MMA gym that was ready to give deals to the entire football team. Like this was even before we've gotten into the Isaiah Wong in the college basketball scenario and John Ruiz sort of as a a big time figure and someone who we even mentioned by name several times in this episode. I was just wondering if Miami was like, okay, let's go back to July 1, 2021. And let's just start with everything we saw on Twitter. Like is Bo Nix going to get hit up for sweet tea? by the NCAA because they're so backlogged right now. They finally got an enforcement staff that's going to try to play catch up. Like, oh, sorry, we, we've we been backordered like refrigerators and big cars right now. So we just got to, we're just getting around to that. I just, it's not football, it's basketball, but it's the FBI was involved in an investigation. And even with the FBI doing the stuff, the NCAA was still powerless to do a lot of things because they didn't have... They don't have the power. So to pretend that they have power to do anything about this is just, well, actually, I don't know that. I I think if anybody's worried about the NCAA having any power to do this, it's a very pointless worry. You've got other things you can deal with instead. A little bit of, little bit of uh, conference realignment. We saw the news that uh, Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF uh, will be able to join the Big 12 in 2023. That was a, a deal that needed to be negotiated because it was before the end of their contract. BYU will also be joining the Big 12 for the 2023 season. The American Athletic Conference has wasted no time to make sure that they've got all of their paperwork in order, not just to be able to replace those three schools, but also be able to beef up the conference. As Mike Oresco said this week, that the six schools uh, that are set to join the American Athletic Conference, all currently in Conference USA, they will be joining July 1, 2023, which means that they will be in the AAC for the 2023 season. Those six schools are Charlotte, FAU, North Texas, Rice, UAB, and UTSA, hot as fish grease. Tom Fernelli, which of the uh, which of the new additions do you expect to to have a, a big impact, a boost from the move, and what will that conference look like moving forward? It, it's going to be weird because I mean, obviously, with Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF leaving, those have been three of the conference's premier programs as far as results on the field since it was formed. And that's leaving a tremendous kind of vacuum of who's going to step up and fill it. I would assume the programs best suited to do so are still there. Like I I think of like your SMUs, your Memphis's, those are programs I think that are well positioned to kind of take advantage of that. But 
of the six new schools, I mean, I think if you look at UTSA, it's only had it's it's been very good the last few years. Can they maintain that momentum? Because I think that in that market in Texas, that is a benefit. And it's clearly a program that a school that cares about its football program. They've invested a lot in the football program. They want to be a successful football team. So I think that moving up a level as far as, I guess, conferences are concerned and getting more money from it will allow them to maybe speed up that process a little bit. So I think the Roadrunners are some one of the six that I would probably look at. And I think FAU, I, I uh, like this was a program that when Lane Kiffin was there, it was winning Conference USA titles. And I think that it is in a good location within Florida as far as recruiting is concerned. If you get the right people in charge there and you get everybody kind of pulling in the same direction, you know, UCF is leaving. So there's, you know, that kind of Florida spot. You still got South Florida you have to deal with. But I think that they're in a decent enough position where I don't think they're going to step in and start winning American Athletic Conference titles within the first two years. But I think four or five years down the road, if they make the right moves, that's a program that I think could establish itself as one of the better programs in the conference. Moving to the American Athletic Conference is a move up from Conference USA, undoubtedly, right? Yes, yes. And I also think UAB, too. But yeah, it, I was, that's where I was going. It's like, consider what the jump then has been from UAB, from like back from the dead to competing at the top of Conference USA to now all of a sudden getting a chance to be in the American Athletic Conference. And like, as we looked at, as we're looking at 2022, just the season ahead, you know, UAB, UTSA, we're looking at them again to be two of the best teams in Conference USA. They make that jump. I'm not expecting a big change to happen to the Blazers program with the move. I think that they will be a a fascinating, uh, fascinating team to watch even in year one. Yeah, I, I, I mean, UAB is just a solid program. The question is, can like they've been very good in conference USA and I still expect that they'll be solid in the American athletic. It's just once you add a couple of bigger programs to the mix, will they still be able to have that same kind of success? My inkling is that they probably will. I just don't think it'll be immediate. I think there could be a couple years there where it's, you know, they're getting, they're getting bowl eligible, but they're not really, you know, running rampant in the conference. Uh, if you're just showing up to the show a little bit late, uh, Norman asked in the chat, why are you guys fixated on Miami? Why aren't you talking about the $8 million deal that Tennessee gave Nico? Well, it's a headline. Uh, the NCAA is reportedly visiting with Miami and some of the boosters around it. I would imagine that given how much has been written and talked about Tennessee's collective, that they'll be there. They'll, they'll be in Knox. I mean, come on. Aren't they already there because of the Jeremy Pruitt? And the yeah, um, just, and McDonald's bags of cash, like I, Tennessee, is another one like Miami where the they've already got all the hotels staked out. I mean, NCAA enforcement might 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 already have rooms on uh, already booked. Just trying justify to justify those salaries. <laughs> Tom Fernelli versus the NCAA here on a Thursday. All right, let's get into the big old bag of mail. This first question reads. Uh, nice work as always, guys. Question, what was the biggest off-season move that will impact the 2022 season that did not involve a quarterback or a head coach switching teams? This was a pretty tough one to answer because like most of the biggest moves that will impact the season directly involved quarterbacks and coaches because those guys have the biggest ones. But I would say as far as players... I went with Jameer. I went with Jameer Gibbs to Alabama from Georgia Tech because I looked at that Alabama team last year. And you know, a lot of Alabama fans will tell you, like, "Hey, 
we hadn't lost Jamison Williams, if we hadn't lost Mechie, you know, we hadn't had guys injured, we'd have beat Georgia in that title game. But we were down to like our, our third string receivers, backup tight ends, a whole bunch of stuff. And I think that let, if you put Jameer Gibbs on that team last year, they're better equipped to withstand those injuries in a game like that because Gibbs is a player that Alabama just hasn't really had one of in the last few seasons. Like he's a very good running back, but he's also an excellent receiver out of the backfield. So I think when you add that element back to the Alabama offense with the receivers that they have as well, this becomes and it's it's already a really hard offense to stop. Now you're adding another weapon to it in another part of the field, meaning the defense has even more areas that they really need to be concerned about covering, and you can't cover the entire field. So they become much more difficult to stop. So even though he's not going to be a workhorse running back, as far as players are concerned, I think Gibbs. I have a couple other ones, but I would like to know what you think about some players. I am th- the one that I uh, targeted is going to be teammates with one of the most high-profile head coaches or teammates with one of the most high-profile quarterbacks and playing for one of the most high-profile head coaches. But in terms of impact, not just on the field, it will impact this season, but also what he left behind and sort of what it what it did for us looking at the transfer portal era. But the move of Jordan Addison from Pitt to USC for a, a whopping, allegedly, 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 a whopping nice little sum of uh, name, image, and likeness. Now, is that NIL or pay for play? <laughs> I think that that one was the the real stunner. I mean, Pat Narduzzi being very outspoken, the tampering allegations, and sort of the way that that lined up with all the spring meetings, because it was right at the end of May after the or the beginning of May for him to get his name in, the end of May for the announcement that Addison would be going to USC. He's the reigning Bolitnikoff Award winner. It was decided by the voters that he was the best wide receiver in college football, and he is up and leaving after participating in spring practice, and he's going to be joining a team with a ton of other transfers, like Caleb Williams as the quarterback, Lincoln Riley as the head coach. There's tons of other uh, transfers that are on that roster for the transfer portal all-stars of Troy. But I think that Jordan Addison, not only because of what he brings with his individual talent, but also just what he left behind with the disappointment at Pitt and what he can do to take that ceiling and raise it even more. That was the one that stood out to me. I, I have a couple in the Pac-12 that are off the field. And I think Jordan Addison is a very good call. It was him. I, I think that that's obviously going to have an impact on USC. But I think that even though he's a great player, I feel like there's been enough other changes at USC, whereas him alone, I didn't consider the biggest. But I think if you look at the Pac-12, like the ability now to get rid of your divisions and the Pac-12 doing it immediately, I think kind of, I don't think it's going to put a Pac-12 team in the playoff, but I think it greatly increases the odds of putting a Pac-12 team in the playoff because if USC does go on to have like a great season right away under Lincoln Riley and be competing for the conference title, it's going to get that additional conference championship game. Because when you look at the North this year, I still think Oregon's a very good team. I think Washington can be a lot better than last year. I think Oregon State could be better. I think Washington State could be better. I think Stanford could be better. But I don't know if any of those teams are going to be elite or like great. Mm -hmm. So if USC won the South and it got to the Pac-12 championship and it was facing an Oregon team that was good, but maybe it's nine and three, I don't know if that would be a big boost. But let's say Utah has another great season and they, you know, they play their game, whatever. One of them's 11 and one, one of them's 10 and two. 
that increases then instead of being in the same division not being able to face each other in the title game they would get to play each other in the title game which could with depending on who wins increase the Pac-12's odds of getting a team in the playoffs so I think that's a big kind of move as far as college football landscape but I think a USC Utah rematch in the Pac-12 championship game would be huge and the winner would have the best chance possible to be Mm -hmm. able to go on to the college football playoff like that's I, I, I like that call a lot. Yeah. And I mean, it's not, again, it could be Oregon again. It could be the same thing as we saw. It could be Oregon going 11 and one facing an 11 and one USC. I'm just saying it increases your odds of making sure that since you get the two best teams in there, it's going to increase their chance to get into the playoffs. So I think that's a huge move as far as college football is concerned. And another one, I know you weren't supposed to mention the coach. So maybe this is cheating because this isn't a coaching change. It's a decision to stick with a coach. I think Arizona state not firing Herm Edwards could be huge for Arizona State. Good? So, no, bad. Okay, because, yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, I agree. Because of that changing landscape now in the Pac-12 where USC clearly seems to be en route to a come-up, Utah has been tremendous. Oregon seems to really be establishing itself. I mentioned some other teams in the North are kind of, you know, there's reason to believe they're going to improve this year. I think UCLA, I don't know, we'll see. Like last year, they took a step forward. They could be. And then you look around, like Arizona, I think, is moving in the right direction. And I think that Arizona State could find itself kind of buried beneath a lot of teams that are moving in the right direction at the wrong time. And it could be, it could take a long time for them to be able to dig out if they're able to dig out of it. But and then I also, too, like I read a story on The Athletic. It was Doug Haller wrote it, which <laughs> it was a what if scenario. And it's something that I hadn't even thought about in a while because I kind of forgot he was there. You know who Arizona State's offensive coordinator was when they fired Todd Graham and then hired Herm Edwards? It was Billy Napier. Exactly. And I forgot. Yeah. It was a what if scenario because even though Napier wasn't like a candidate or widely considered as a candidate for the gig, it was just basically what if Arizona State had just promoted Billy Napier to head coach instead of hiring Herm Edwards? Where would the program be right now? And it was like, oh God, if I'm an Arizona State fan, that's probably keeping me up at night these days. That's, um, I mean, well, the good news is uh, if you're an Arizona State student, you're at Arizona State. So, <laughs> you know, that's, uh, the, things things can get a little bit, um, things things are okay. What else uh, in any others that stood out to you? I like your Jameer Gibbs call because I've also been thinking about Alabama's offense. And, you know, Jameer Gibbs and Tyler Harrell uh, from Louisville in particular just feels like a lot of just break, like a a lot of long touchdowns. Like, Mm -hmm. I don't know if Alabama's going to lead the SEC in touchdowns of 30 plus yards, but they've got a really good chance to be able to lead the SEC in touchdowns of 30 plus yards. And it doesn't even require Bryce Young to be airing it out. Like, I don't want to call it the dirt bike offense. But there's just a lot of uh, speed and like big time playmaking, and Jameer Gibbs is without a doubt a big part of that. Yeah, because like if you look at Georgia's offense last year, and obviously like you know they played in the title game, so that's why I'm going to Georgia. But like you look at it, and it wasn't explosive or as explosive overall as of Alabama's, especially out wide outside the numbers because of the quarterback that they had. But what they did have, which kind of brought the other dimension to them, is they had James Cook, who was a guy who you can get the ball to out of the backfield, whether handing off to him or throwing to him, who was dangerous. He was capable of scoring from anywhere he was on the field because he's that fast, he's that quick, he can move. And that was kind of an element that Alabama didn't have last year. Like Brian Robinson, good running back, but you're not really worried about him breaking huge plays, taking off for 70 yard touchdowns or being a, like incredibly dangerous outside of the backfield. Like you could put a linebacker on him and you're pretty confident he'll be able to make the tackle at least and maybe give up a few yards, but you're not totally worried about it. You can't really put a linebacker on Jameer Gibbs. And if you do, he probably going to get cooked. He's, they're going to do it a lot. Yeah. 
It's going to be uh, very, very, very fun to watch. Coming up on the other side, we turn our attention to the Michigan quarterback room, and we ask the question, you just signed a big old contract, but how long is it going to be until James Franklin starts to feel real job pressure at Penn State? That and more next the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Did you know that while over 60% of Americans dream of starting their own business, less than 20% of them take the first step? The reason? Building a business is tough. Taylor Brands is simplifying the business journey. From launching and managing to growing your business, Taylor Brands isn't just another tool. It's your online business partner, from launch to success. With Taylor Brands, building your dream business becomes an effortless experience. Their comprehensive platform guides you through every step, ensuring you have everything you need in one place. From LLC formation to bookkeeping, invoicing to acquiring licenses and permits, and even setting up your bank account, Taylor Brands handles it all seamlessly. And our listeners will receive 35% off Taylor Brands LLC formation plans using our link, taylorbrands.com slash Sports. That's T-A-I-L-O-R-B-R-A-N-D-S dot com slash CBS Sports. So start your business journey today with Taylor Brands. Back here on the Cover 3 podcast. Again, if you want to submit a question to a future mailbag episode, you can do so by leaving us a five-star review. And then in that review, put your question. We'll add it to the big old bag of mail. Tackle it in a future mailbag episode. Uh, This next question comes from Seth. Amazing podcast. The only college football pod I listen to because there's no point of listening to any others. Great balance of characters on the show. First question, is the is the McNamara-McCarthy situation a good comp to Clemson's situations with Cole Stout and Deshaun Watson or with Kelly Bryant and Trevor Lawrence? I see Caden McNamara as a capable quarterback, but not a game changer like J.J. McCarthy. Should Michigan make the switch? Before we get to that, Second question is for Tom. I told you, we, we're really going for the Tom's bag here. Second question is for Tom. What are your thoughts on the recent announcement of Illinois getting new uniforms in 2023? What are you hoping to see? Uh, I'll start with the second one first because uh, I, I don't care. As long okay. as, like, as long as they're... The thing with Illinois uniforms is it's hard to do anything super interesting because Illinois does not have an interesting logo. It's just a block eye. So it's hard to really get anything fun out of that. And they're going to be orange and blue. So as long as they're not just other Syracuse, like Nike doesn't put out the same template that they did for Syracuse, which is what they did last time. I'll probably be okay with it, but I don't really have uniform thoughts. I hope they don't look stupid. That's it. 
Michigan quarterback situation? Um, I've I'm on the record. I I as a person outside the room, just from what I see of the two, I I would rather have JJ McCarthy starting. I think you have a higher ceiling with JJ McCarthy. I think he has he adds another element with his legs and mobility that I mean it's not like Cade McNamara is not a statue, but he's not he doesn't have the same kind of mobility that that McCarthy has, and I think that kind of limits what Michigan wants to do. But I also understand like. Maybe there's more trust with McNamara not to make the back-breaking, killing mistake that could hurt you. And we saw that last year. Like, McNamara, like, he didn't – he wasn't, like, a game manager. He was better than that. But he wasn't, like, blowing people away. He But in Michigan was having success just running the ball a lot and then play action kind of passing, just going off of that. And it was effective because they had terrific defense and they didn't have to take a bunch of risks on offense. But I still think that even though you – beat Ohio State last year with McNamara longer term to make it more likely to beat Ohio State again this year and the year after that you need to have more dynamism at the quarterback position because Ohio State is going to be a better defense this year like I know we haven't seen a single game with Jim Knowles there but just based off what Jim Knowles has done in his career and the talent that is on that side of the ball it's going to be a better defense. It's going to be more difficult to do what you did to them last year again this year. I don't think you can just beat them up. And that's what they did last year in the snow in Ann Arbor. They just beat Ohio State's defense up. They ran through them. They ran over them. They ran around them. It was a very impressive display. But I don't think you can count on that year after year. So I do think they have a higher ceiling. I would go with McCarthy. I don't know how that coaching staff feels right now. Actually, I do think I know how one person that's pretty important on that coaching staff feels right now. I'm pretty sure they're going to lean McNamara and he will be the starter when the season begins. Is that Jim Harbaugh? Yeah. And I think that I th- I think Michigan can win with, with him. I, it's because oh, yeah, they, they just got to the playoff last year with him. So it's it's not like I sit here and think that Michigan's going to be bad. Oh, they're going to be eight and four because they don't have JJ McCarthy starting. But I think you have a higher percentage chance of winning the Big Ten with McCarthy and getting back to the playoff than you do with McNamara. So if I'm a Michigan fan and I'm one of those um, twisted ones that is rooting against the success of the starting quarterback because I want to see the backup quarterback in there, the start to the season is not going to fare well. Cade McNamara might look like an all-star as he, and let me just run that through you real quick. Uh, Opening game, Colorado State, first-year coach at home. Second week, Against Hawaii, first-year coach at home. Third game against UConn with a first-year coach at home. And then you play Maryland, who could be exciting. You know, we talked about how you know that wide receiver room is great. They present problems. They present some problems, especially for a defense that's going to have a, a little bit of turnover. But then this is where it gets dicey because uh, fifth game of the season, October 1st, you're going to play at Iowa. So... Mm-hmm. Are you waiting for McNamara to struggle at Iowa to put McCarthy in there? Or are you hoping that because all these other games are blowouts that McCarthy has gotten a lot of good second half action to be able to you know, get fully into the rhythm, get his feet under him when you will probably need the mobility and you will probably need uh, the more versatile skill set to be able to beat a very, very good Phil Parker-led Iowa Hawkeyes defense? I I think that it's probably more the latter in that both McNamara and McCarthy will get a lot of snaps in those first three or four games, probably definitely the first three games of the season, and both will probably play very well, so you will not be able to justify taking McNamara out for McCarthy. I think that 
McCarthy will probably see plenty of snaps in the Iowa game too, regardless of what happens, whether he's starting or not, because that is a defense that's very good and you're going to want to present different looks and maybe you're going to need a spark to get something going on a drive. And we saw last year, like McCarthy did get snaps. Like it's not like it was all McNamara. They put him in, they have, they have sets with him. They have, you know, certain things that let run. I think we'll see an expanded playbook with him this year in his second season. It's just, Unless McNamara is screwing up and hurting the team's chances to win, I don't think you're going to see McCarthy. And I think that could be a problem for Michigan because unless this is, you know, we we just see it now with the quarterbacks who don't really like sticking around and waiting for a chance to play. And if you're J.J. McCarthy, maybe he's different. Maybe he just wants to be at Michigan. Maybe he's willing to sit and wait his turn. Maybe he's like, all right, I'll be the other guy this year. And then once Cade's gone, I can finally step in and take it. And if that's if they know that's the case, then I completely understand what they're doing. But I would just be worried that in this transfer portal era, if J.J. McCarthy's sitting there and he's playing well when he gets his shot, but he knows he doesn't really have a shot to be starting anytime soon, he might be trying to, you know, see what else is out there. Um, also, it's June, uh, middle of June, and, and we're already starting to talk ourselves into these like very strong thoughts. But throw me also on the growing number of people on the boat that believe that Michigan, even after all the losses, still is going to end up being okay. Because, yeah. yeah, I mean, Penn State game at home, Michigan State game at home. I mentioned that Charmin soft start to the season. Uh, the Iowa game is admittedly very tough, but like Nebraska, they come to Ann Arbor. Your other road game in your road game in November, other than Ohio State, is Rutgers. Like Ohio State will probably get its revenge at the end of the season in Columbus, but that is probably, in my opinion, going to be a loss that leaves Michigan sitting at I don't know nine and three. You know, like not a bad season at all. Maybe ten and two. Yeah, I I think I mean it's it'll be interesting to see. What happens with Michigan State and Penn State? And I've got a story going up next week that I got to write about teams that are probably poised for a bounce back next year or maybe, you know, falling down. And Penn State is one of those teams. There's some stats underlying that, you know, suggest the last few years might have been a might have been just some bad luck and things could bounce back. And on the other side, Michigan State is a team that suggests that we might see a drop off based on what they had last year. But I think that just looking around the conference as a whole, even though I think Ohio State's clearly the best team and is going to win the conference far more often than not, I'm pretty sure Michigan's still the second best team in the conference, even with everything that they lost. So um, this is more of a, I mean, there's not really a question here, but this is so uh, much fun. I had to read it. So uh, Nick, hi guys. I got a huge laugh when Tom read my CJ car post on MGo blog on the show, which Tom, if I remember was Michigan fans really going through it with like a, we don't really need him anyway type mm-hmm. approach. Mm-hmm. Yeah. T- talking about Lloyd Carr's grandson committing to Notre Dame. Uh, this is what Nick says. Um, Hi, I got a huge laugh when Tom read my CJ car post on MGo blog on the show. I'm a huge cover three fan and always wanted to get on the show. My dream has finally been realized. Congratulations, Nick. The funny part is that 99% of the time I am a quote voice of reason type fan and poster. I am a Michigan alum from the early car years. So I guess it triggered some temporary insanity. My daughter <laughs> actually knows CJ and tells me that he is a good kid and that everyone knows that his family are great people. I won't be rooting for him at Notre Dame, but I'll be very excited when the Lions pick him first overall in the 2028 NFL draft. 
Love the show. Can't wait to hear where you draft Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards in the upcoming running back draft. First of all, I love that he's not going to root for CJ Carr because he's at Notre Dame, but he also understands that by the time CJ Carr is leaving college, the Detroit Lions will still suck and will still have the first overall like he, even though he's like you know he clearly he if he's a michigan guy he loves aiden hutchinson but he doesn't think aiden's gonna fix the detroit lions <laughs> he knows they're still gonna be picking first <laughs> all right uh keeping it in the big 10 let's go this question is from ryan in maryland hey guys love the show since i found it this past season and have been letting my fellow college football fan friends know about you Thanks. That is the offseason challenge for all of our mm-hmm. listeners. Uh, I was very excited when we got James Franklin after Bill O'Brien, and he has certainly moved the program into the modern era from the Joe Pod days. However, it appears we have hit a ceiling of good but never great. He got Drew Alar to come to Penn State, but I think the but I think the pressure is on now even more so. Do you guys think if Franklin can't turn this around and develop Alar quickly, will Penn State finally move on? And I may be just a conspiracy theorist, but the new Penn State athletic director was the athletic director for Temple when Matt Rule was hired. Rule is a Penn Stater from State College. Just saying, dot, dot, dot. Thanks. Like button smashed from Ryan in Maryland. So we know what Penn State message boards are going to be saying for the next few years. That Why would you want to hire Matt Rule? I don't know. I feel like Matt Rule's star. I mean, I think that, we, we've seen it too many times. College coaches are successful. College go to the NFL, fail. And in a lot of people's eyes, it kind of ruins them as far as their stock. And then they come back to college. It's like, oh, no, wait, they're still pretty good at this. So I, I don't think Matt Rule's stock is down, but I completely understand why nationally some people would be like, really? Have you seen what he's done with the Panthers? But as far as James Franklin, I think that James Franklin is already kind of on the hot seat with a decent portion of the Penn State fan base. And I think that when that happens, you can't rule anything out but and this is a pretty large but the man did just sign a 10-year contract extension and 70 million guaranteed and if you look at the buyouts on that contract if you fired him now it's 72 million if you fire him in 2023 it's 64 2024 it drops to 56 2025 it drops to 48 2026 40 so even if even if it's five years from now to buy him out of that contract is going to cost you $40 million. Now, God knows what college coaches are going to be getting paid five years from now, considering the way things are going, but we could also see the market shift direction where that more of that money goes to players than it does to coaches. Who knows? I just think that is a large pill to swallow, but maybe when the big 10 signs its new TV deal, it becomes more feasible for Penn State to swallow that kind of money and move on if things get that bad. But man, I feel like for Penn State to want to pay that much to make James Franklin go away, things will have to get really bad. And I don't see things going really bad. Like I kind of mentioned a few minutes ago, I think that Penn State is a team that's going to be going to be good this year. It's going to get back to normal. I know they've had a couple down seasons, but there are numbers that suggest there's some bad luck involved there. And I think we're going to see a course correction this year. I think Sean Clifford being in his second season with the same offensive coordinator for the first time in his career will be big for him. It will be good for the offense. And if it's not, I think if Drew Alar is able to step in and you know lives up to the hype, that will be good for the offense. But I just think this is still going to be a team that's going to win nine games probably in all likelihood compete in the east go to a major bowl game and 
no, that's not the playoff, but that might be the playoff in a few years. So will you want to be paying James Franklin $56 million to go away when he's getting at-large berths to the college football playoff? I doubt it. Well, the the high floor is what I would take. Yes. Like, as, like as a Penn State, if, if I'm putting myself in the shoes of a Penn State fan, I am. I know it's very difficult for for me, uninvested Chip, to be able to tell you, heavily invested fan, how to feel about things. But the consistency that you're able to get, and as you mentioned, like there there have been some frustrations. I mean, you know, now they've been a mediocre football team the last two years, results two years, wise. Two years, the results have not been good, and to watch every one of those overtimes probably took a lot of. Well, well, they just lost to a better team that day. It, it, it added a lot of joy for the two of us. But, you know, for, for a Penn State fan, I understand what that might have done to your psyche and your overall emotional state regarding the Nittany Lions. But I am so much more in on the idea of, oh, like James Franklin, he, he just keeps going nine and three. He keeps going nine and three. And to your point, if a college football playoff expansion is coming, Penn State going nine and three against a schedule that includes Ohio State every year, Michigan likely every year. I don't know what their protected rivalries would be if they go if they move away from divisions, mm-hmm. but I got to imagine that Ohio State and Michigan remain very much at the the core of Penn State scheduling principles. Well, Richard Aitchison asks in in the comments. He says, "Will getting rid of divisions help any program more than Penn State?" I do think they would be helped by that because I don't know who they're premier or their regular rotating rivals would be but i do think that the two newest programs in the big 10 would be viable candidates because there is a quote-unquote rivalry between maryland and penn state and it could be penn state and rutgers so you might see two of penn state's protected rivalries every year being rutgers and maryland which means at worst green light let's go and then you've got the land grant trophy with michigan state so i wouldn't be shocked if penn state's protected games are michigan state rutgers and maryland which means you're not playing ohio state and michigan every single year anymore which would be a tremendous boost to their floor and it would increase their ceiling a little bit too because it would just increase their odds of finishing in the top two and then facing ohio state or michigan in the big 10 championship but at this point we've probably got the expanded playoff and again they're going to be a viable candidate for one of those at-large bursts every single year. And if you're getting to the playoff, I don't think you're going to be having reasons to fire James Franklin. No, a top two, top three, top two, definitely top three, possibly team in the Big Ten is always going to be a contender for a 12-team playoff. Mm-hmm. And Penn State absolutely can be that. Um, that the Imagining those buyout numbers as you just read them out was hilarious because I've I was remembering even this past offseason uh, a Power Five program sweating a fourteen million dollar buyout. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if a fourteen million dollar buyout is giving you pause on what you're going to do and making you really like have to reach out to boosters and make some tough decisions, imagine what fifty six. Yeah, you know, like that's ridiculous. Like the only like the only way he's getting fired in those seasons is if he's done something that it allows Penn State to wiggle out of the buyout because they've got you know cause or whatever you know that kind of stuff mm. yeah and that's if it, if James Franklin uh faces pressure then the pressure will come from people digging around to see if there's any reason that they can fire him for cause like he mm-hmm. he would have to get pruited for him to be run out of state college here in the next couple of seasons. And I don't know that that happens at Penn state as much as it does at Tennessee, which is a place that I love because it is insane. Right. And a hundred percent agree. All right. 
this next question comes from uh, Chi-Town. Long-time listener of the pod and will always refer Cover 3 to all of my friends. Thanks. I recently bumped into a Clemson fan and a podcast listener at a Dallas airport bar. Shout out to Jay from Atlanta after he commented on my Tuck Cummins shirt. <laughs> Do you like the Tuck Cummins movement? I don't even know what it is. Oh, it's Michigan State fans. It's uh, Michigan State fans. Mel Tucker, like you, you say. Oh, I, like, okay. Tuck coming. I thought Tuck. you. I thought there was some guy, like a designer named Tuck Cummins. No, 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 no. Like Tuck. Mel Tucker's coming. Mel I got Tucker it. Mel Tucker is okay. coming. Yeah, Tuck coming. You you holler after he gets a big win on the recruiting trail. Tuck coming. Um, I mentioned and warned him that Dabo is starting to sound like Mark D'Antonio towards the end of his career. Dabo, like D'Antonio, refuses to make external hires and just reshuffled responsibilities internally, refusing to adapt to the changing landscape, refusing to adjust scheme to fit roster, and stubbornly sticking to players who have waited their turn over younger players with higher ceilings. What are some coaches that you think dug their own grave that led to their demise or forced retirement, and is Dabo in danger of becoming one of them? Thanks and go green, Tuck Cummins. Uh, I say no. I mean, I, I'll go ahead and jump out on this. Brian Brzee arrived at Clemson and he was a starter. Like the, the last, I'm, I'm not trying to go in reverse order here, but when there have been superstars, like Dexter Lawrence played right away. Like if, if you are the most gifted player at the position, seniority has never been, and not never, but seniority is not something that is put above talent when it comes to Clemson and depth chart decisions. The reshuffled responsibilities, no external hires is potentially a very, very um, valid criticism, but I don't think that we can say that the grade is final until we see what happens this year after having to do the massive shakeup following the loss of Tony Elliott and Brent Venables, replacing him with some of the coaches that are on the reshuffled staff were technically external hires. They just also had been at Clemson earlier as a graduate assistant or as an analyst. So they all had ties to the program. We'll see whether or not that works out. Dabo is certainly of the belief that having those connections are going to end up making him, uh, that are going to end up making a difference in helping the transition. And then for the you know refusal to adjust to the new era, Dabo is without a doubt stubborn, but we also just saw um, him adjusting some of his own policies in terms of official visits in June. So it does seem like there's a little bit of uh, bend from Dabo Sweeney on that. Yeah, I, I pretty much agree with all that. I think the only, like, kind of like you, I think the one area that concerns me, and I don't even think that's really the case at Clemson, I'm just saying in general, is the problem with the internal hires and the promotions is that it's hard to be innovative when it's the same people talking all this all the time it's like sometimes you need fresh voices from other places with maybe some different ideas to come in just to kind of push things forward and help you see things differently and help you improve i think that's just the kind of the way nature works in general not just football programs so i do think that any program whether it's any coach is just kind of not bringing in outside people and just keeps promoting from internally i think eventually you will stagnate yes so not Clemson, but any program that does that probably will face trouble at some point. Clemson was also on the edge of offensive innovation 10 years ago, but now the offense looks 10 years old. Mm -hmm. With really good players, it can be very, very productive. And there are not a lot of ACC defenses that are able to get out there and um, 
be, have the the players that can keep up because of how well Clemson has done with recruiting and player development. But um, you know, it'll be that's the thing that I'm probably looking at the most is to see we went from Chad Morris to Jeff Scott and Tony Elliott. Jeff Scott leaves. Now it's Tony Elliott. And yes, Brandon Streeter was the quarterback's coach and he's, you know, come up through the, the entire run, but we've got a new pass game coordinator and a new, some shuffled responsibilities that I know it was said as a negative thing, but I will be paying close attention to the Clemson Tigers offense to see if it does look like they are trying to put in some new wrinkles or if they're still running the, the Clemson offense, uh, as Dabo said, when everyone said, are you still going to run the Chad Morris offense? He's like, it's not the Chad Morris offense, it's the Clemson offense. So I wonder if the Clemson offense is going to get a software update uh, with some of the change in responsibilities. And will they have any receivers under 6'2"? They have not changed their player profile at the wide receiver position. Though I I was uh, looking at the wide receiver coach talking this offseason and kind of calling the room out for not being, and this is something that's so small, but for not being great at like downfield blocking. And I kind of forget that if you're going to be all big, you, you, you better, better be good. Yeah, you yeah. better be able to help us with the perimeter run game. I mean, so many of those long Travis Etienne runs, like those, those can really get sprung by being able to have one of those Cadillacs on the outside getting in front of a defensive back and opening the lane. And when you've got great run, a great running back duo with Will Shipley and Kobe Pace. I think that that's, that's going to be interesting to see whether or not those uh, wide receivers are going to answer the challenge, bring some toughness, some physicality, and some oomph to be able to spring some, some big runs on the outside. All right. Let's go right here. One last one. This question comes from C-Slack. All right. Hey, y'all. Love the show. What's your favorite group of five conference? And then the next part of it. If you had to pick three to five teams from the group of five to make a New Year's Six Bowl this year, who would they be? Uh, I'll start with the second part because it's unfortunately the most boring answer to me. It's I think it's the same. It's, I think Cincinnati, Houston. And then for the third, I'm kind of torn between SMU, who I think is something of a dark horse. They've got a new you know, they've got a new coaching staff coming in, but they've got a lot of returning production from last year's team. And I think that, you know, the, defensively, I think that could undo them. But I think offensively, they're going to be able to score plenty of points. So that makes them dangerous. And then I would go with Utah State as something of a dark horse to get that spot. But I think that more than likely for the next few years, that's going to come from the AAC until Cincinnati, or not even the next few years. But while Cincinnati, Houston, and UCF are all still in that conference, I think they're going to be the favorite for the the New Year's Six spot. Um, as far as my favorite Group of Five conference, that's kind of a tricky one to answer because I just regionally I like the MAC. I, I'm familiar with the MAC. I've seen that. I've watched the MAC for years. I enjoy Maction weeknights late in the season, but I I kind of have more of an affinity now for the Mountain West simply because of timing. Because until the Mac starts playing on weeknights, they're generally playing at the same time as everybody else on Saturday. And no offense to the Mac, I am not going to watch a Toledo Bowling Green game over a Big Ten game, an SEC game, what have you, if there's a bigger game on. Meanwhile, Mountain West is typically playing late at night. So after a lot of the major Power 5 primetime games are finishing up or wrapping up, you change the channel, 
and there's a Mountain West game. And they've had some good, fun teams over the years. Like every year, there's always at least one team in that conference that is just really fun to watch. And then, of course, there was always at the end of the night when everybody else has gone to bed and just us true degenerates were still awake <laughs> before Chip had kids and I got old. There was Hawaii football, and we would watch that. So I have always kind of had an affection for the Mountain West simply because I see the Mountain West live a lot more than I do the other group of five conferences. Sunbelt. Fast I, answer. Favorite? I think, yeah. Yeah, that's just, it's it's one of my favorites. I think that, you know, Louisiana being really strong, well, it was adding like a lot of intrigue to that. So I do hope that, you know, with Billy Napier's exit, with them deciding to promote internally, I hope Louisiana stays a very strong program. They were extremely experienced. I will be expecting a little bit of a drop-off just because you lost not only your head coach, but so many of your most important players. But App State and Coastal Carolina, again, like to, to your point about the MAC, the strength of the football programs at App State and Coastal Carolina have made being here in North Carolina very, very fun mm-hmm. because the, the either like Fairweather fans or just, you know, other fans will just jump on board. There's a lot of excitement. There's a lot of buzz. I live uh, across the street from a uh, sports bar and, oh, wait, oh my gosh. Like, because of the App State and Coastal Carolina are going to play on a Tuesday night. You go and you see the parking lots packed, right? And you're like, ooh, this is exciting. This is a little bit of buzz that uh, we hadn't had before. Throw in James Madison, a program that I think is very, very good, who's going to be jo- joining the picture there in the Sun Belt. Um, you know, we've got a Georgia State program that is on the upswing right now, which is exciting again, like in Atlanta. I just, I'm a big, uh, I, I like the, the Sun Belt. It's probably my favorite right now. Though to your point, Mountain West uh, tucks me in at night on Saturday, specifically the CBS Sports Network Mountain mm-hmm. West game tucks me in on Saturday nights. It's normally about halftime when we finish our instant reaction show. So then we get to like nice and unwind with Amanda Guerra's sideline reporting and, you know, whatever confetti is flying across in the sky in <laughs> Reno, Nevada. Um, I Maction in November and midweek does give us a, a, a lot of fun and also incredible weather mm-hmm. uh, in a lot of those games. And we have lots of different ways to attack that, especially <laughs> from the, uh, for our Mac locks. Mm-hmm. I'm, I, I think that it's probably Mountain West and, and Sunbelt for me. The American Athletic Conference is very top heavy. As you mentioned, the teams that are going to be competing for the New York six, New Year's six bids this season are probably coming from the AAC. I mean, it'd be cool if Coastal did it or if App did it, but it I means things have gone horribly wrong at Cincinnati. And yeah, I just don't think Sun Belt has that kind of cred yet. But I do think, like I've talked about it, I think that five years from now, the Sun Belt, with just all the changes that are happening at the G5 level as far as realignment, I do think the Sun Belt's going to be the best G5 conference in five years. They've just leaned into an identity and like they're not they're they're chasing passionate like football fan bases no matter where you are Mm -hmm. so it's a it's a a cool thing and it is fun to track along if you want to add a question to a future mailbag episode you can do so by leaving us a five-star review and in that review you put your question we'll add it to the big old bag of mail tackle it in a future mailbag episode you can follow him on twitter at tom fernell you can follow me at chip underscore patterson tom thank you very much thank you
Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones, so we'll never lose touch with civilization, and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic and conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.